This episode of the Busted Wide Open podcast is brought to you by Blueberry. Blueberry offers the best media hosting, accurate listening stats, and their all-new PowerPress Deluxe sites, a no-setup WordPress website for your podcast with all the necessary links to share your show with the world built right in. If you currently produce a podcast and are looking for a better media host or looking to start a new one from scratch, head over to orbitaljigsaw.com forward slash BWO and sign up for the best media hosting and a PowerPress Deluxe site to get your first month absolutely free. That's orbitaljigsaw.com forward slash BWO, or just use the promo code BWO at checkout for your first month free. And with that said, enjoy the show. Hey, wrestling fans. I'm Jake Barton, creator of the history storytelling podcast called Historium, and you're listening to Busted Wide Open on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to the Busted Wide Open podcast. Dropping the elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. With your hosts, Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous. Coming to you from the Orbital Jigsaw Network Arena in sunny Southern California. Welcome back to the Busted Wide Open podcast. But if this is your first time joining us, we'd like to welcome you to episode number 55. I'm Nick Howell. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous, and we are about to go over Elimination Chamber, the last Raw pay-per-view before WrestleMania. Yes. That just happened. And we had our first ever women's Elimination Chamber match as well on this show. This are was- there any other special pay-per-view matches that we haven't had for the women yet? Uh, not uh, tables, ladders, and chairs. Maybe I, I don't know. We, oh, that's true. We you know, like a full TLC match. I don't know. I'm sure there's some, and I'm sure we'll we'll get them all within the next year or two. I, I don't know at this point that, that WWE should make a big deal about the historical importance of every new women's match they're having because. I, I think Wrestle Circus actually tweeted this out, and I totally agree. The more they push it down our throats that this has never happened before, the more it points out. How how long WWE has gone without really giving women their time to shine? It's like reminding us, yeah, we we kind of pushed women to the side and made them bikini models for the last thirty years, but hey, aren't we great now? It's like, don't put that in our faces. Like, let's just enjoy it. And they they didn't really push the history that much on this. They they did a lot more with the Royal Rumble and how big a deal that was. This right. was just kind of like, oh yeah, it happens to be the first one. Okay, let's move forward and get the actual match. Uh, and it was a good match. It was a really good match. Yes. But you know, before we really get into the meat of this, we get to talk about the pre-show of Elimination Chamber first, which and we thought was going to be the Good Brothers facing off against the Revival, which we were half right. And not only were we half right, but the Revival did pop up their heads in a little backstage promo after the match that did happen, which was the Good Brothers versus the Miztourage. Now I'm going to sit here and say I absolutely love watching uh, Bo Dallas and Kurt Axel wrestle. I enjoy that. It's a lot of fun. People forget they're really good wrestlers. <laughs> they Bo come Dallas, from long pedigrees of wrestlers. Oh, yeah. And Bo Dallas, if you go back and look at his NXT days, when he was NXT champion, he's he's fantastic. Yeah. So, and uh, like you said, Curtis Axel comes from a, what you could almost say a perfect lineage. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I, I agree. I love seeing them wrestle. And I think people also forget how good the good brothers are. Carl Anderson in particular, I think is a lot of, untapped potential that WWE doesn't even hasn't even let him dive down into. He keeps impressing me week after week. Every time he's allowed to show a little bit more 
fire and character in the ring. I think he's a guy who could, if they gave him a big enough push as a singles babyface, go a long way. Uh, he's got the charisma. He's got the ability. He was, you know, if you go back and watch his time in New Japan as a singles wrestler, the guy can go. He's got a, a huge arsenal of moves. They look great. He's a he's a tight worker. He's a good worker. But uh, yeah, this was a match that we didn't see coming, but it, it was definitely the definition of a pre-show match. Oh, you don't think this was uh, the start of some kind of big build that they're going to do? Uh, a big? Big build? No. Because I might. Uh, I could see a build, but not a big build. About Finn Balor for the Intercontinental Championship facing off against The Miz with I, the Good Brothers and The Miz Taraj, and you get a three-on-three faction kind of thing going. I, I think... I get, I'm around that. I'm, after, I'm that. After this show, I think it's... I mean, looking at the possibilities for WrestleMania, I think Finn going for the IC Championship is a strong possibility because there's really not a whole lot else for him, yeah. and he's big enough that they should. Um, so I could see that, but uh, at the same time, I don't know that having... The Good Brothers on the side with a tag feud against the Miztourage is going to go anywhere because the Miztourage is essentially at this point they're just enhancement. Yep, and they lost here, so I don't know if, if you can really create a feud out of that. And besides, as we said after this, the revival showed up and you know talked smack about the Good Brothers and how they're terrible tag team wrestlers and all this. So I see them going more towards the revival. That's the feud I hope to see. Well, we were be able, we were able to make our picks as they were making their way to the ring, uh, and we both obviously for obviously obviously obvious reasons. Picked the Good Brothers, and we were right. Yeah, we, <laughs> not we much right. more needs to be not said much more about needs that. to be said about that. So let's move right on over to the main show yes. and the women's elimination chamber match, which started off the whole thing. What? And I, this blew my mind. Really? Why? You're going to open the show, open this big pay per view, your last big pay per view before WrestleMania with the women's match. I thought these two matches should be back to back towards no. the end. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely not. I think that the, you have your two biggest. Most exciting matches, bookending the show, because what other match that we had set up for tonight could have possibly gone first to be an exciting first match? It's much better to have them bookending and have this match go first and not risk having a really tired crowd after seeing two of these big matches back to back. You know what? I uh, Fair dues. I would have done it differently, is my opinion, because those these were the two big pivotal things that happened. And to your point, in in your defense, in their defense, I should say, it, yeah, you're not giving people time for a break in between what's going to take basically an hour to an hour and a half each, yeah. to get through those two matches. Yeah, they so. separated the two the two Rumble matches at the Rumble for better or for worse. Like they they had to. This this yeah. made complete sense to me. Uh, and to their credit. You know, this is one thing where in the past they've put together women's matches, obviously before the, the quote unquote revolution really took off. They would put together women's matches and they would they would not deliver. I would even actually within the revolution say, you know, like some of the Sasha and Charlotte gimmick matches like the Hell in a Cell that didn't deliver. Yeah. That was not good. Um, <clears throat> but this match definitely, I thought not not just delivered, but was I would say excellent. Well, one of the biggest things that came out of this, do we want to break down the whole match or do we want to talk about the big highlights? Let's, uh, real quick, let's just run down kind of how it went sure. it, because I thought this was, it was good booking. It was simplistic. It was very basic, but it was effective because of that. You had Bailey, uh, you had a, a face and a heel to start. You had Bailey and Sonia Deville to start. They had great chemistry just to begin with. Uh, Sonia, Sonia Deville has not had a whole lot of time on her own in the singles matches. She looked really good here. And in all white. And in all white. I liked her outfit and everything. Yeah, no, it was a great presentation all around. Uh, they were smart by having Mandy Rose be the next woman in, so it became a two-on-one. And then Sasha Banks came in, so it was a essentially a tag team. Yeah. 
and it kept everything very simple in terms of storytelling as they went. Um, and then that's when things started to, people started to get eliminated. You know, you had uh, Mandy Rose tap out to the bank statement and then Mickey James comes in and the dynamic shifts again. So that all of that, I thought was, you know, adding elements. It made it very easy to follow. It made it easy for the woman to tell the story. Uh, and they all did it very well. Well, overall, I think Absolution had a really good look in this match. Yeah. Uh, even without Paige and all of the tragedy that's happened with her neck injury and stuff like that, she's doing great from uh, with her Soraya store. Shout out to that, which, what all she's doing and building around that. It's a big merch store that she's doing. Um, but aside from that, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville have kept up pace. They are really doing well uh, for themselves in this match. And I love seeing the dynamic that they took to Bailey with Sasha coming in. Like you said, it was just a tag team. But yeah, I was excited to see what would develop between Mickey James and eventually Alexa Bliss, which frankly never happened. Which then this was an interesting aspect of this match, which was that you'd had this we'd had this build where it seemed like Alexa was mending fences with Mickey James, but then the way it worked out, Mickey comes in, she has a huge spot. Uh, she has a Luthez press off the top of one of the pods to to pin Sonia Deville. Uh, which was really awesome. And uh, I also, speaking of outfits, Mickey James and her Wonder Woman outfit was also super cool. Yes. Um, yeah, and then, and then she ends up getting pinned, and she's out before Alexa even comes in. So we never see the payoff to that story they built. And that was odd, but I think, it, I, honestly, I, I'm, it's not something that I'm getting hung up on. I think, yeah. it, I think it's something where they didn't want to show their hand as far as how that's going to turn out. Uh, and they didn't want to possibly have to deal with a either either Mickey being with Alexa or against Alexa. I think it was just a way of saying, you know, this Alexa's now on her own, completely on her own, uh, while still giving Mickey some some time to shine. Sure. So I, I, I didn't I didn't ultimately mind it, although I did raise an eyebrow at the time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, based on what happened next, everything else before this, I kind of forgot about <laughs> because we ended up with Alexa Bliss and Sasha and Bailey in the ring at the same time as the final three. And again, simplistic storytelling. You have a two-on-one again where you have Sasha and Bailey teaming up. They're, they're friends, right? <laughs> teaming up against Alexa, who become, starts like climbing all over the place trying to get away from them and finally gets cornered on, top, on the top of one of the pods. And then in a reenactment from the Lion King, uh, Bailey's climbing up onto the top of the pod and Sasha kicks her off. Uh, and turns on her. Now that's what got my eyebrow raised. Yes. And I went, oh, yes. It's, I think I tweeted out, you guys, it's <laughs> happening. It's happening. Long live the king. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, this is what we've been waiting for for a long time is this true heel turn by Sasha, especially, and, and you know, it, I've enjoyed the slow build up to this. You know, Bailey being the sacrificial lamb to an extent, but we needed to see this full-on turn from Sasha, and I think it's going to lead us. I'm anxious to see what happens this week on TV. Yep. Because I I want to know if the, I I want Bailey versus Sasha at WrestleMania. Yes, I mean they've they've shown they can tear the house down before. I don't know if they can do it without a belt being involved, but I would still exactly. I would still totally be down just as a grudge match. Um, obviously they got a lot of time to build it. Uh, it didn't seem like Sasha went full heel in this match. It just more seemed like she turned on Bailey. Uh, but it definitely seemed like the seeds are being firmly planted at this point. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately of course, Alexa bliss, uh, takes advantage of this 
falling out of friends and ends up retaining, as you and I both called. We yes. thought that was the best option. That was a smart option. Uh, Alexa, after the whole match, cut a killer promo where she started off you know, being kind of weepy and saying how historical it was and just, you can achieve your dreams and then turned on a dime and turned on the audience and turned on that brilliant heel persona that she has magical and just shut everybody down. And the audience went from like kind of getting weepy and cheering along with her to be like, ah, screw you. Right. It was great. Brilliant. Brilliant. And we were left with a great shot. Kudos, Kevin and the camera team for, of Sasha sitting there crying head in hand, uh, outside. outside of the of the cell, so brilliantly done. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, I had my fears about it based on what we had seen in the Hell in a Cell match last fall and uh, the Royal Rumble match earlier this year. So I was I was fifty fifty about whether this was going to be good, but it turned out to really exceed my expectations. Yeah, good storytelling, a lot of big spots, twisted bliss off the top of the pod, Woo! that that huge frog splash on the Bailey. Like there was a lot of fantastic big spots uh good storytelling uh development yeah all around a very very solid match if this is the first one i i have to say like i'm excited to see more of these if they can continue to book them at this level of quality sure so update for the listeners we're still tied we, we've both picked right in each of yeah, the first we didn't two, right? disagree much on the picks on this one yeah. but uh the times that we did disagree it's gonna we're gonna have to talk about those. we gonna have to discuss this but the yeah. next one we're not gonna have to discuss because we both picked the same on this one and that was the tag team championship the bar defending their championship belts against titus worldwide which really i honestly think is probably I, if if it wasn't for the Good Brothers and the Miztourage, this would have been a pre-show match. Yeah, well, I think I I tweeted out, uh, you know, okay, now that the women's uh, elimination chamber match is over, time for the piss break match. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the only problem was we had a few piss break matches in in a row that really weren't. They were either you could say they were very predictable or they weren't engaging. You know, they 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 tried to build the story of Titus Worldwide having the bar's number over the last few months. Like yeah. there was a while there where the bar kept losing to Titus worldwide, um, whether through shenanigans or even clean at a couple times, miscommunications, et cetera. Um, and, but the problem was they didn't, I don't think build that story strongly enough so that we cared about this match. They spent too much time earlier in the year, uh, breaking down Titus worldwide and having them lose really basic matches, you know, having, having Apollo in particular lose repeatedly to Elias, it continued, you know, made them look like just not that good. Yeah. And so when you finally try to say, Oh no, they're contenders. No one believes it. No one cares. This was a quick seven minute match and it, it ended pretty cleanly. I would say extremely cleanly. The, the bar just wiped the floor with Titus worldwide after some, you know, competitive beginning. It was not exciting or engaging uh, I would actually go so far as to say, with the exception of a couple of bright spots, it was pretty boring. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about it, to be honest with you. Other than we had four amazing wrestlers kicking off the pre-show in a throwaway goofy match, and we had four amazing wrestlers here. Just you know, it felt it felt like a uh, raw match. It felt like a raw match to yeah. me. So, and that's and that's probably the most damning thing I can say about it. Um, obviously we both picked the bar to retain obviously right again predictable right. speaking of predictable we also had another match we had Oscar uh, versus Nia Jax and again this one is, is you've got Oscar's streak on the line there's no way her streak is getting broken on a B-level pay-per-view uh, a month before Wrestlemania it's not gonna happen 
you knew there was gonna she was gonna pull this out somehow, which she did. Uh, I like the fact that they booked Nia very strong against her. That just makes sense because you do need to keep Nia hot and making her look like she's extremely competitive against Asuka and Asuka just has that edge uh, where she just is able to pull out victories was good for both of them. This match ended up with both of them looking good, especially in I thought the most exciting part of it was after the match, um, Asuka ends up like slipping into a, a pin and gets gets Nia down. Um Nia just annihilates her afterwards yeah. outside the ring, puts her through a barricade and, you know, they end up both like Oscar looks like she can win it, no matter what the circumstances and Nia still looks like a monster. Well, I, there is something I do want to talk about this and I'm, I'm, I'm resonant to talk about it now versus when we see raw and talk about that later on our, our other show this week uh, is it, at what point do you break Oscar's streak? Like who's going to do it? Like, because they've built it up now because it's so high. She's beaten all the big superstars and she's now toppled the monster of the division. We're going to talk about this more and more, especially the more they make a big deal about it. Uh, I think there is a way to do it that keeps her protected and still makes it a big deal. And I think I discussed it earlier on the show, before on the show, but we're going to have to see what their plans are with her for WrestleMania to really speculate on how to do it. Um, This is kind of like at this point, Obviously not on the same level, but it's it's definitely something that can be talked about in the same sentence as the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. Get out of my head. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. Where whoever breaks it is going to get such a rub off of it if they break it clean that you have to be careful about who you give it to because otherwise fans could turn on your on on you doing it really quickly and easily. Well, after after this match that we were just talking about with Nia Jax, is Alexa Bliss going to be the one to do it? Aren't they on their way now with this outcome to face off at WrestleMania for the Raw Women's Championship? It seems that way, but they still haven't said definitively that Asuka is going to cha- challenge the Raw Women's Champion. She still has the option to choose either one. So they haven't really played their hand yet. We don't know what their ultimate plans are here. Hmm. Yeah, and and this is the thing, is that if their ultimate plans are to have her face Alexa one-on-one, I don't see Alexa beating her one-on-one. That doesn't seem to be the way they've built the Alexa character. She can't. She's not going to be able to beat someone, a killer. I don't think they should. Let me put it that way, too. I think the only woman right now who conceivably should be able to beat Asuka one-on-one is Charlotte. Agreed. But Charlotte also doesn't need that. She doesn't need that much rub. That would put her so much in a stratosphere above all the rest of the women on your roster. It would be too much. So I, I don't know what they do. I, again, I have my my personal booking, like fantasy booking way of doing it, where you get someone to get a rub, but it's not so much of a rub that it shoots them to the stratosphere and makes them untouchable. It, it protects Asuka. But we can discuss that later once we know what's more what's going on with WrestleMania because my, my theory doesn't work unless certain things fall into place. Uh, 100% agree, and I'm in the same boat. That's why I'm having difficulty with it. So we did both pick Asuka to, to, to win that one. Yeah. Uh, so still tied. Still tied. Point, still tied. Right? But we've also agreed on every match because they were all <laughs> kind of predictable outcomes. And then we get to Matt Hardy facing off against Bray Wyatt, which we vehemently disagreed on last Here we go. week. Here right? we go. Yes. The, and this, frankly, I felt the same way about this match that the audience apparently did too. This is when the beach balls and the wave came out and people just disconnected from this match. And partly I could blame that on a series of predictable predictable matches that the audience kind of slowly tuned out from more and more as the, as the show went on. Partly because this feud has not engaged 
the fans again the woken gimmick is not over at all like there's people who are still kind of like oh yeah delete delete in the crowd but no one's really like super pumped about doing it anymore bray wyatt is at this point so so damaged beyond repair as a character as a concept that it's it's sad it's just sad i've been saying it for a couple of months now that bray wyatt we need brother nero back and Bray Wyatt, to me, after the, after seeing this and kind of confirming, this was my last straw. Bray Wyatt's a placeholder until Jeff Hardy comes back from injury to fill that Brother Nero role, and that's when this is going to take off. Uh, you may be right. I personally think they need to do more uh, outside-the-box stuff, kind of like what they were doing back in, in TNA Impact, where Matt would go off and film stuff at his house, at, at, you know, on his property, and you get some of these goony... Uh, pre-recorded things going on, you know. I, hopefully, uh, they're building towards something like that. Uh, but you know, again, Bray Wyatt also has a bad history of doing pre-recorded segments as well. I remember the New Day and the Wyatt, the Wyatt family and that weird swamp battle. Obviously, the House of Horrors match was a debacle. Uh, so again, I'm scared of this. Bray, uh, in this match came out. He actually teleported to the ring. Matt had an entrance. And then the Bray little clip hit and we cut to the ring and Bray has teleported into the ring and Matt has teleported out of the ring. And then Bray gets put off of his game and starts looking around for Matt Hardy everywhere. I, you know, with like these, like the supernatural psychology war that just doesn't, it didn't play well. It, it just felt, came across as kind of am, very amateur, Yeah, you know, in terms of its presentation, it was disappointing. Uh, it wasn't engaging. It wasn't exciting. And then we had the actual match, which, was also again felt like a raw match you know i don't think they should have matt wrestling as much as they should have him doing character work because he can barely freaking walk yeah he, he's his hips and his knees are so gone the dude can barely move uh, you know if if they do do the brother nero thing and jeff can still go in any capacity you should have matt be the mastermind and jeff do the the, the leg work the yeah. literal leg work oh that's a good point. i never thought about that you know what i mean uh, Matt Hardy being this sorcerous manager advocate of sorts. Kind yes. of, yeah, absolutely. I could get behind that. You know, but but anyway, so this match ended up with Bray eating a clean pin in the center of the ring to once again prove to me that I should never, ever pick Bray Wyatt because the dude, no matter what, can find a way to lose, <laughs> even in a situation where he had to win to keep any kind of heat in a, a, in a program. And in a show where they had to have Bray win to put to put Matt on his back feet to 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 make this continue, but nope, Bray wins. Bray Bray loses clean in the center of the ring again, and Nick takes the lead with the first correct pick of the night. Yes, you that's you, different, right? You called Matt Hardy because I picked Bray like an idiot. I never learned my lesson with him ever. Every time, <laughs> I, God. So now we got all that stuff out of the way. Real quick, though, what is what are your thoughts on beach balls at wrestling events? Oh, this is a great point, Jesus. Um, I don't want to be the guy that says no, you can't do something. Sure, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I don't particularly have a lot to say about bringing fun stuff to a large sporting event in general. Um, I what I don't like is, well. I want to take a step back because when you go to basketball, NBA games, you go to NFL games, you go to all of these things, they're doing the wave, there's crowd interactions, there's t-shirts being shot up into the crowd. Songs if you're going to a, a football all game. All of this stuff. 
So for people to say somehow that it's disrespectful that people are doing the wave or there's beach balls being thrown around is somehow telling, quote unquote, the WWE that they're bored. Bullshit, in my opinion. This is 20,000 people that have come together to see a sporting event that are that have spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to come see an event, and they can do whatever the hell they want to do. It's not disrespect. It's they're having fun in an event. See, I would I would argue in a certain level it is disrespect because unlike a sporting event where there's a lots of break here's the thing. You know, if if you were watching a let's say a football game, right, where you've got a play, another play, and then a commercial break, there's a lot of time in the in the middle. There's a lot of downtime. Baseball games, tons of downtime. Soccer, there's a lot of times when they're just running up and down the field, not much is happening. Wrestling, they're telling a story. It would be like if you went to a, a, a theater play and people started like throwing around beach balls. You're supposed to be watching what these the story these people are telling. And if you're not engaged by that story and you start getting distracted by doing something else, then you're disrespecting the people that are trying to tell you the story. It's, it's different than an actual sporting event, I would argue, uh, in that sense. If it's disrespectful because it's disruptive, then it's no less disruptive than chanting Rusev Day during or anywhere what, where Rusev or is chance. not in the building or the what chance. But, and those are disrespectful. Yes. I would argue that the what chance are very disrespectful depending on, uh, depending on when they're used. If you're using them on a heel, that's obviously playing into the story. If you're just doing it because you're a dick, then yeah. The same with the Rusev Day chance. You know what I mean? The Rusev Day chance are the audience trying to express something that they're not being given. No one would chant Rusev Day uh, in a segment where Rusev wasn't there if they were getting enough of Rusev. People wouldn't be throwing around beach balls if they were entertained enough by the product. Did you see beach balls in the Attitude Era? No. In WCW Nitro? No. All you could see in the audience were posters and interaction and people wanting to Directly interacting with what was going on in the ring. So this is absolutely like the, the whole beach ball phenomenon has become kind of like some of these more obnoxious chants that come from the audience that that in a sense break kayfabe uh, or just the audience, you know, CM Punk chants, for example. Yeah, great example. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what it is. It's it's the audience saying to the WWE, you're not engaging me right now. But I'm not going to be the guy that sits here and says that you can't spend hundreds of dollars and go to an arena sure. and chant CM Punk or Rusev Day or tap a beach ball around. Now, absolutely. It's do what on, you want to do. In my opinion, it's on the WWE to give people the product that does, makes them not want to have that go on. If they were giving them what they wanted, this wouldn't, Go on. So I, I think it's more on the WWE. In the meantime, though, it is frustrating because I do feel awful for the superstars who are in the ring and the, be- the beach ball is getting more chance than they are. I feel bad for them. And I understand <laughs> when Cesaro runs out to the crowd, grabs the beach ball and rips it in half. I understand his frustration. I get it, dude. I would probably do the same thing were I six foot three and ripped like Cesaro was and, and, and on that, on that stage. Cyborg. Right. <laughs> But that's the thing is, so I'm with you. I'm not going to say you shouldn't get a beach ball and throw it around. I think that it's classless. I think that it's it's tacky. But at the same time, if you're not being engaged, you know, that's on WWE to engage you. All right. So here are the two big events of the night. Not saying that the Women's Elimination Chamber match wasn't a big event of the night, but these were the two, the big ones that we were really looking forward to. That's, I would say there are three big events tonight, and this was the second of the three. Sure, that's a great way to put it. Uh, Ronda Rousey had her contract signing that we've been that's been touted now for at least two weeks, if not three weeks, uh, where she came out to the ring. Not until Stephanie and Triple H and Kurt Angle made their way to the ring to introduce her. 
which this turned into a whole thing. And I was, I was, I don't even know where to begin with. Very this. eloquently put, Nick. What I was gonna, what I, how I was gonna put this is, you had every all of the other members of this story come to the ring. You had Kurt come to the ring. You have the table in the ring with a contract on it. You had Triple H and Stephanie come out. They were not announced for this segment, but when they showed up, they got a huge pop. Everyone was so happy to see them uh, at this point. And they came out to the ring and made it like, a, you know, it was a big event. They, they, they gave it the pomp and circumstance that it deservedly required uh, to say, we have gotten the most famous women's combat. Uh, co- what would you say? Combat, combat artist, artist yeah. in the world. Uh, we have signed. Don't you dare start calling her an artist, Michael Cole. No, no, no. She, <laughs> they've already got Shinsuke under that questionable moniker. But uh, so they, you know, they made the the big, they made the moment nice and and regal, and then they called out Ronda Rousey in the Triple H voice, and out she came to a mixed reaction. So this is now this was something that you and I were actually discussing while it was going on is that when she came out, she got a mixed reaction from the crowd. Some people booed her. Some people cheered her. You had a bunch of her uh, old MMA friends in the front row, like Daniel Cormier. Uh, They were all trying to start Ronda Rousey chants. She got to the ring, and the you know again, the the UFC guys were definitely trying to pump the crowd up on her, and she ended up getting a nice big welcome from the crowd, which made her visibly emotional. And it was a very sweet moment. And then she started to talk about how she felt. And she came across as being a little weak. And it, it was not a good promo. It felt real and not in a good way. It didn't feel like she was in control of the situation or that she knew what she was doing on the mic in the ring. She seemed very vulnerable. Yeah. And that I thought at the time when it was happening, I thought that, oh, this is a rocky start for Ronda Rousey in the WWE. It doesn't look like she, she looks like a deer in the headlights. But... I say that a big old butt. <laughs> this turned around very nicely. Yes. You did such a better job of breaking that down for me because I, my head, I'm going straight to this part. So all of a sudden, Kurt Angle starts to interact or Triple H starts to interact with Kurt Angle and he goes, yeah, but didn't you t- say back then that you were just going to, it's three, have three years in the making and we're going to own that? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh. This, this, was, this was fun because up until this point, Everyone had been a face in the ring. Triple H and Stephanie were so warm and welcoming, and Kurt was kind of standing there with a befuddled look on his face. And right as Ronda's about to to sign the contract, Kurt kind of blurts out, didn't you guys say this was revenge for WrestleMania 21 or 31 or whatever it was? Uh, and Triple H and Stephanie both go, shut up, shut up, dude, yeah, shut man. up. I'm going to take Kurt over here. You finish that. <laughs> and Ronda <laughs> kind of starts giving this quizzical look, and Kurt keeps blurting out, didn't you call her a bitch? Oh, shut up, Kurt. Shut up, shut up. So this was great because it was that slow turn, and you could see Rhonda. Rhonda, I'm going to say this right now. I thought her reactions were very honest. I, I, I liked the the realism in her reactions. It wasn't big and presentational and over the top like a lot of WWE acting is. Right. It was very natural. The more close the camera was on her face, the more I I, I thought it worked. And this is the point where her performance. I suddenly realized that whether or not she pulled it off at the beginning of this, their whole point was to make her feel vulnerable. They wanted her to come across as soft at the beginning. So when Kurt reveals to her that Triple H and and Stephanie are are manipulating her, that she clicks on that switch and she goes into that Ronda Rousey, that legendary Ronda Rousey scowl 
And those dead eyes come out and she gets right up in Triple H and Stephanie's face. And it's just kind of like, is that what, did you actually say that? Did you say that, Stephanie, did you say you could take me? Really? Ooh. I'm a has-been? Really? And none of, nonverbal, all of that, just physical intimidation. Yeah. And the whole audience goes, ooh. Here's the thing. You could not have a better person to debut Ronda Rousey opposite than Stephanie. Whatever questions the audience had about Ronda Rousey, how are they felt? You know, the, the wrestling fans tend to be very protective of the business. And anyone who steps inside from outside the business needs to prove themselves to the wrestling crowd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've you've got to win them over. I'll put my hand up and agree to that. Sure. So a lot of people I know were on the fence about Ronda Rousey. Like, should, does she Does she deserve to be here? What better way to get her over with the crowd than to put her against the most hated authority figure in the WWE, Stephanie McMahon, and to a certain extent, the character that Triple H plays on the main roster. Obviously, everyone's got a lot of love for Papa H over on NXT. But in this segment, which ended up right after this with Ronda Rousey putting Triple H through a table... As he tried to split up Stephanie and yep, as he Ronda, tried to, he tried she to, just picks him up, and I, it looked like some kind of Olympic slam sort of a thing. side suplex. Yes, yeah, slam. so but it, it was but puts him through a table. And Stephanie she busted him open. Yeah, uh, look, look like he bit his lip or something, and then uh, <laughs> Stephanie steps up to her and slaps the utter crap out of her. Just wails one of the legendary Stephanie slaps. Just wails on her. Ronda's face is swelling and turning red for the rest of this segment. And then Stephanie Ronda gives her that look. Stephanie runs out of the ring, and Triple H, you know, you know th- the whole thing works out where Ronda signs the contract. Is like, cool, all right, you own me now. Let's get this on. Uh, so that's that's how this all went down. But here's the thing, I liked, I liked what what they set up with this storyline because again, Stephanie is so hated that everyone's going to get cheered against her. This is the same psychology they used with having Roman Reigns versus The Miz earlier yeah. in the year. The same psychology they use with anyone they have who's a, who's a good heat magnet heel. If they want to get a babyface cheered, you put them against that, just that heel that no audience member is going to ever possibly cheer for. And by the end of this segment, the audience was 100% behind Ronda Rousey. It worked. They, Completely they, they, worked. they pulled it off. Completely worked. Well, the last thing I'll say about this is that we thought, or we, I thought there that go. there would be some interaction with, I thought we were going to see Rousey set up with a superstar to start a feud with, not that we were going to run this for the next six weeks all the way to Mania, but you were right. It, it, it did ultimately end up being, we did call an extra, I don't know if it's a .5 or whatever we did, but... You know, it was a pick, quote unquote, for this match since it was in the ring. For this segment, we had sure. said in the segment, you know, obviously it's a contract signing. Some sort of shenanigans are going to go down. That's just how it works, always. Yep. So, and and in this segment, you had said that either Naya or Oscar was going to get involved, and I said Stephanie. I, think, the, I said some the, kind of superstar was going to be involved, but yeah, Naya, Oscar, whoever. Right, and I said specifically Stephanie McMahon yep. because, and for the exact reasons I just laid out. Stephanie is the perfect first opponent for Ronda Rousey. You don't have the fans uh, being mad if their hometown girl loses to Rousey. You have the one person who anyone's going to get cheered against. This and and plus, as as they were even saying in this segment, this was set up since WrestleMania 31 when Rousey jumped the barricade with The Rock and uh, and messed up both Stephanie and Triple H. So this made nothing but logical sense to me. 
Well, I have two questions to really close this out. One, do we think this is going to be a tag team match with her plus one against Triple H and Stephanie? And two, if it's not Kurt Angle, which I, I think it might be, there is some rumor that The Rock is trying to get his insurance cleared in time for Mania. Do we think it's Rousey and Rock versus The Game and Stephanie? So here's the thing. They've, they've set themselves up to have a lot of options here. Um, obviously, the story with Angle goes back to Survivor Series. They could draw on the storyline there. Um, I definitely do, to answer your first question, I definitely do think it will be a tag team because you're going to need to kind of, kind of uh, feed Ronda a lot of this stuff. You know, that's, you're going to have to let her in slowly, and I think it's going to protect her a lot more to have her in a tag match than in a one-on-one off yeah. the bat, especially if it's going to one-on-one against Stephanie, who's also has had decent matches in the past but is not a wrestler. And I think, it's, I think uh, it's a much smarter play to have it be a tag team, and the fact that she's interacting with, Stip, uh, with Triple H would indicate that both Trips and Stephanie will be involved in this match. As far as who Ronda will tag with, as I said, they've got their options. Uh, Rock needs to clear insurance. If he doesn't, they have Angle, and that will still be a great match. Yes. And I think people would be more excited for The Rock, but I personally would almost prefer Kurt because that's the storyline they set up, and I'm more invested in seeing that pay off. Yeah, I, totally. I, I think the crowd would pop harder for The Rock, of course. If you smell it's the minute you hear that, everybody loses their shit. I was but- at WrestleMania 31 when he came out to confront them, and that place blew <laughs> Up. I can't was, imagine what 100,000 people sounds it like. It was the second biggest pop of the night after Seth Rollins uh, beating Brock Lesnar or beating Roman to get the, the championship, just cashing in. Like That was the second biggest one of the night was The Rock coming out easily. <sighs> wow. Uh, but I'm with you. I want to see the payoff to the betrayal that happened at Survivor Series uh, last year. I want to see that. Because if they don't pay that off, then that was just such a Triple H power trip uh, to come in and just... Make it all about him. It's going to actually, in retrospect, make that Survivor Series. We said at the time, if they don't pay this off, this was an awful Survivor Series. Yep. They have to pay this off to make this Survivor Series look good in historical context. Otherwise, people will look back at it and say, boy, that sucked. Well, let's leave it at this. Are you excited to see what happens the next six weeks with Ronda Rousey leading up to WrestleMania? Yeah, they, uh, they me got too. me. They Done. got me. I'm in. Mission accomplished. Yep. All right. Let's talk about the men's elimination chamber match to wrap up the night here. Here now, we go. The biggest elimination chamber match in history with seven guys. Seven instead of six. Uh, so many guys, they couldn't start with two. They had to start with three because they didn't have enough pods. Well, this actually started with Elias at the very beginning. And something that I had completely forgotten was that somehow, somewhere, a stipulation happened that he would come out last. How did you forget that? He beat Cena and Strowman. I he forgot pinned, about it. Yeah, I didn't know. That, I, I remember the match. I don't remember that. That was the stipulation. That was absolutely. That was a. It was a big deal. We talked about it. We we, we short term memory. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry. He beat your. He beat your boys. Cena What's and Strowman. Always saying we forget stuff every week. Well, right? some of us do. <laughs> some of us remember because it's our job to remember. But uh, yeah, so Elias came out first, did another one of his his song and dance routines, money, and uh, and then was scared into his cell by Braun Strowman coming out, uh, as you would. They made they made the entrance to to the ring uh, for everybody, everyone getting in their pods, uh, an exciting event as well with people who were already locked in their pods having to stare through the plexiglass as the next people came out and eyeballed them. Through the glass, I love them. I love the particular moment where the Miz came out and started mouthing off to everyone who's already in their pods. Goes up to Braun Strowman and Braun Strowman slaps the glass, and Miz jumps back like a scared little kid. 
there was a there was a lot of interesting interactions before we even had the match. And then I also thought that one thing that I was a little bit irritated by was we had a match where the Miz lost to John Cena, and the stipulation was he would come out first. He would come out first, right? Well, he's out first with two other guys, with Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. What match did they lose to get screwed and put in the in the first uh, the three people starting off the thing? I think they I might know. have been teasing something else there. If I uh, say so yeah. myself. You think? Maybe, maybe. I hope so. That would be a good program. Up to what you were saying just a minute ago, though, my favorite part of the opening and the entrances was Braun Strowman standing against the glass, breathing on it like a caged animal. That was fantastic. I had never seen anybody really do that in that elimination chamber cage before. Yeah, it, he, it was horrifying. Yeah, I, my, my initial reaction was, ew, stop breathing on it. And then after a second, I was like, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool, man. I was like, oh, yeah. He's just ready to kill somebody and you know what that's exactly what he did so this the story of this match is pretty much i would say mostly about braun Strowman. this was everyone having a match a nice happy little elimination chamber match everyone getting their spots in everyone looking pretty good uh until braun Strowman gets involved and then it's just everybody trying to survive and braun Strowman slowly picking everybody apart even to the point where three or four of the other superstars were ganging up on trying to pin at the same time Braun Strowman, he just burst out of it. And it, I, that was some of my favorite work that he's has done he, since he his took time in the WWE. Everyone's finisher, one after the other, uh, and they still couldn't pin him. Right. Uh, this, was, this was a match that... We're, we're, there's a lot of details that we're going to overlook in this match because it's essentially irrelevant. I don't, I'm not going to get into the dueling suplexes. I'm not going to get into the story with, you know, Cena and Rollins and no, 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 the Miz and all that. The, the story here is Braun Strowman getting murdered by everybody and then eliminating everyone. Braun Strowman eliminated. Uh, let me see if I can list this off in, in order of elimination. He eliminated the Miz. Then he eliminated Elias, who was the last guy in and, and did his best to not get in this match. Uh, he eliminated Elias. Then he eliminated John Cena, your, your initial pick, the, not the one you ultimately went with, but the guy that you have been saying all along is going to go to WrestleMania to face Brock. Bam, out, third. And then Cena had that same, like uh, the Sasha Banks moment out in the stairs. Like, oh, man, I've done failed again. Hey, but, but hey. He did have a little bit of a redeeming moment on Raw Talk after it, which we'll, we'll talk about we'll, later. We'll get right. to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. That is an interesting point of conversation, which we'll we have in a second. We got to finish this because next he eliminated Finn Balor in a, in a sequence. I actually liked how they eliminated Balor here because Balor was on a roll uh, against uh, um, Roman Reigns. Yeah. And he actually executed a bunch of moves on him and then hit the coup de grace went for the pin, and against all logic, instead of letting someone get eliminated, Strowman pulled Finn off, power slammed him, and eliminated Finn. Uh, so it kept Finn looking strong, like he could have beat did, did he almost beat Reigns there? We'll never know. Uh, but Finn then goes out. So then you have the two members of the Shield against Braun Strowman. And predictably, Rollins was the next one to go. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people thought Rollins might go all the way. I, I, I did not. I did not either. Um, I actually thought they were going to sell his injuries from going an hour and five minutes on the gauntlet match last Monday. I thought they were going to sell that more, but nope. They just made him look like an Iron Man who can just bounce back from anything and go from the beginning of this match to almost the end. And so we're down at the end to your pick and my pick. 
Ron Strowman. And I think I texted you this, and it all comes down to this. It comes down to this. And this is actually, I thought, smart booking because these two were the favorites. Just just like we had uh, at the the previous pay-per-view when it came down to the Royal Rumble, when it came down to Reigns and Nakamura. And we were both like, man, these are the two we thought were going to win. Who's who's picking this up? Um, Once again, we're down to the last. Like, who are they going to go with? Are they going to go with Reigns or are they going to go with Strowman? These are the two options, the two best options to face Brock Lesnar right here. Who's it going to be? Superman punch, Superman punch, spear, 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 boom. Roman Reigns pins Braun Strowman clean as a whistle in the middle of the ring. Now, I'm already hearing a lot of backlash against this finish because people thought that uh, Roman is then taking all of this heat from Braun Strowman by beating him after Braun Strowman eliminated everybody else, which is the most eliminations anyone's ever had. Braun came across looking like a monster and then Roman Reigns pins him and takes all of that heat. I thought it came across more like uh, everyone like Braun survived up until this point and it took five finishers from Roman Reigns to put him down and it was more like Roman survived Braun more than uh, he took all of that heat from it. It didn't feel like uh you know, he had overcome this monster who had beaten everybody else. It right. was more like Braun was worn down by that point. And that was driven home by what happened after the match, which was Braun gets his heat back by throwing Roman Reigns through one of the pods and leaves him in a heap and ends up standing tall. So it felt more like to me, at least, that Roman had survived the the match and barely squeaked out a victory as opposed to, uh, you know, beating Braun Strowman, having Braun's number, having Braun's number. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I didn't mind that aspect of the booking. So we're getting, we are getting, now we know Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Duh. And I, before we react, there's something okay. I want to do. I want to go back and play something from six months ago after the No Mercy pay-per-view in September. Okay. I want to play something for the listeners and you, Mm. and then we're going to pick back up and we're going to react to what you had to say. So here it is. Now, here's the thing. I I want to step back from all this really quickly and just say that, look, obviously, we're not directly involved in the business. We are just fans. Yes. This show is a show by fans about a product that we are fans of. Yes. And so our criticisms of this product come from a place where we want this product to succeed. And obviously this product is trying to go for the, like the mean level of all of their fans. And we're not saying that we represent that mean level, but I will say this in our defense, we are fans that are aware enough, or at least we think we're aware enough of the general idea of what they're going for, that we let a lot of stuff slide when we see it being something that they're trying to do to appease a larger fan base. Sure. Here's the problem. This is one thing where you can pretty much definitively say that the inevitability of this build towards Roman Reigns defeating Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 34 for the Universal Championship and the way that they're building towards that is hurting hurting the product and keeping it from being as good as it could be. And this is an argument that is substantive and it has it's it has nothing to do with me taking a stand on my personal opinions. This is something that is across the board. When you talk to people who are educated about the wrestling business, they all say this is hurting the product. This is hurting the business. This is not a good idea. This is not pleasing the general fandom. This is pleasing one 72-year-old man who believes that it's the right thing to do and it's the right direction to take his company because he thinks he can make more money on it this way. 
And I don't know if he's going to make more money on this on it this way. And we'll never know because we're, he's never going to try the alternative. He's never going to try a different way that could possibly maybe make him more money, but be a little bit more risky. Be, be Try to take risks on other people that could potentially make him more money, but don't fit into his cookie cutter idea of what he wants to see. And I don't need to see Lex Luger get hoisted on the shoulders of a bunch of the wrestlers from the locker room because he didn't beat Yokozuna again. Yeah. I don't need to see these, you know, the, the Lex Luger tour. I don't need to see John Cena running through everyone again and, and beating people just because he's the man. I don't need to see that again. But I'm gonna because that's what Vince wants. And I'm and and frankly, as a fan, it makes me have a hard time watching some of the aspects of his show, which I want to like as a fan. I want to like it. I'm trying hard to like it and they're making it hard for me. And I'm not saying I speak for every fan and I'm not saying I speak for everyone who watches this show, but I know there's enough people tuning out enough people not watching and enough people not buying the merch and not signing up to the network that it can't just be me feeling this way. So that was six months ago. Man, I don't and, know who that guy is, but yeah, he's right on the money. Yeah, who would have known? Ian the soothsayer all of a sudden has been predicting this the whole time. But I want to call a couple attention to a couple of things that you said there that are key to me. Uh, the inevitability of Roman Reigns being hoisted to the, the top. Yeah, I, I can't even call myself a soothsayer. It was just too obvious. Right. It was and, too obvious. And we've seen it shoved down our throats. Uh, all this whole time, and I've wanted to not believe it. The other part of this that's inevitable uh, and why I back Cena so much is because they are shoving down our throats that Cena is going to get his 17th championship at some point. And I, whenever that is, I don't know. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. I agree with you that it is inevitable. I disagree with you that it has to happen this year. Fine. And that's and that's something that we'll discuss at another point. So go back to what we just listened to from six months ago, long before this was even really and where I, we are I today. I want to add on to that. This is not just, I mean, I brought up Lex Luger and John Cena. This is also Hulk Hogan at Royal Rumble 91 and 90. You know, this is this is what he does with his top guys. He, he shoves them down your throat and makes them overcome quote unquote impossible odds. He loves having these guys who are these big ripped, obviously alpha alpha dog guys overcoming quote unquote odds. And that's like, we all love an underdog story, but you can't tell me that Hulk Hogan is an underdog. You can't tell me John Cena is an underdog. I look at him and I don't think underdog. I look at Daniel Bryan and I think underdog. I look at CM Punk and I see underdog. I could even look at Seth Rollins or AJ Styles and see underdog. But you try to tell me that these big dudes are like Roman Reigns, the way you've booked him, except for the occasional, like the way that you've like taken your foot off the gas and let him lose a couple. Oh, to make him feel more vulnerable. No, that doesn't come across as underdogish to me. That's just that comes across as stop start booking. It doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, I've, people want to see an ask an ass kicker or an underdog. It's one or the other. You can't have both in one. Roman Reigns can't be this monstrous machine on one side and then be an underdog on the other side. The only time that has worked this year that I will give them credit for actually pulling it off is against Braun Strowman. And even then, a lot of the stuff they did in that feud was bizarre, to say the least, like having Roman back Strowman into a truck. In an, you know, It didn't make sense. But having Strowman like beat the crap out of him and flip an ambulance and all that, 
that was good stuff. It made me think, man, he's got Roman's number. There was some good, there was some good stuff in this. And there's, there's good aspects to Roman Reigns. But the way that they have booked this whole thing has been so predictable. It's, it's killed people's excitement to see Brock Lesnar, I would say, to a certain degree. Uh, it's, it's killed, I mean, not that there ever really was this entire time they've been doing this huge push for Roman. It, it's, it's killed a lot of people's excitement to see him face Brock Lesnar, that's for sure. So I don't know, I don't know how they're going to get out of this at this point. And, and, and to the point that I made six months ago, the, the idea of Vince having alternate, uh, alternate paths to take and the fact that he won't take the risky path. Look at the end of this Elimination Chamber match. Braun Strowman went through five dudes. He had everyone eating out of the palm of his hand because he looked like an unstoppable monster and people love an ass kicker. He came across as an ass kicker and was playing to the crowd. He was so, People were chanting, get these hands. He would, every time he raised his arms, people were cheering. They were cheering him over Reigns demonstrably by the end of this match. Yep. If he had beaten Roman Reigns here and gone on to face Brock Lesnar one-on-one at WrestleMania, people would have lost their minds the way they lost their minds when Nakamura won the Rumble because it was something that was not predictable, but it was something that people people were excited about because they've done such a good job at getting Strowman over this year. And to your point from six months ago, you were alluding to taking risks a la Strowman or something like that, where he was after SummerSlam. Now, six months later, there's no risk in Braun Strowman. I would say I would say minimal, yeah. Yeah, I, I, in, it, I, for me, there's more risk in Roman Reigns, if I'm going to be honest. I think there's way more, because what are you going to have? Another WrestleMania that ends with Roman Reigns' music playing and a whole chorus of boos for the, what, third year in a row? you got to be kidding me. They're going to do you, it. And, and they're going to do it. They're just going to push right on through with it. The only upside to this that I see is that, man, after WrestleMania... We're in uncharted territory. It's finally over, and we're going to go. They're going to have to get creative again. Yep. That's the only upside I see to this is cool. You know what? Shoot your shot. Do it. Because after this, there are no more excuses. Yeah, and we're going to get the title back on TV consistently week after week. And that's the upside of, of, of Roman, because Roman's going to win at WrestleMania. Yeah, of course. Let's come on. So that's the upside of Roman winning here is we have the, the titles back on TV and you have a bunch of main event level stars on Raw that you can have a whole bunch of feuds with. As we said last week on our show, there's a ton of places you can go with Roman having the belt. It's, that's a very positive thing. They need to get that belt off of Brock ASAP. And if Roman Reigns is the way they want to go with it, fine. Let's get it over with. Lube me up and get it done with. Because I'm sick of waiting. I, I don't even know how to react to that, so I'm just going to say, okay, uh, yes, I 100% agree with all of that. No contest, no complaints, no no discussion needed. What were your thoughts on this year's Elimination Chamber after the fact? Because I remember being really high coming off of Elimination Chamber last year. It was such a solid pay-per-view. Elimination Chamber was great last year because we had a surprise win from someone who needed uh, uh, some love. And that was Bray Wyatt, and he pinned Cena and AJ Styles back-to-back. It was a big night. It was everything that this Elimination Chamber was not. It was was a shock ending, and someone who deserved the title at the time got it in a very strong fashion, and people were hyped. Had Bray Wyatt gone on to win his WrestleMania match against Randy Orton that year, he would still be riding high as a top guy in the company. And they 
bungled it. Yep. That was that was when it all went downhill. Conversely, this year the elim- uh, uh, top to bottom elimination chamber was predictable. Yep, was very predictable this year. You can look at our uh, our picks across. The, like we were only we only differed on two picks, um, and I think that your pick of Strowman in the men's elimination chamber was. You you went with your heart, and that I thought was a legitimate pick. They could have pulled the trigger on Strowman here. It was not, I think, a an out of the blue pick. And I wasn't making a wild speculation. I legitimately thought they were going to. Otherwise, I would have stuck with Cena. Sure. And I I thought that they were down on Reigns, and maybe that's the work. Maybe that's what they wanted us yeah. to think. I think they I think they worked you on that by having by 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 taking their foot off of the acceleration pedal on Reigns for and the last month or two. They slammed it on Braun. For the last month, he has just been doing everything sure. right. Yeah, and I think I, I think so. They they might have swerved you a little bit there, but aside from that, and me inexplicably picking Bray because I'm a glutton for punishment, um, I thought across the board it was a very predictable pay per view, and that did take away from some of the enjoyment of it. I thought I thought that really when it came down, it's like a solid B pay per view where yeah. everything was well worked, but nothing to really you know flip over. Um, one thing before we get out of here that we have to talk about, and that is raw talk afterwards. Yes. Because I think they set up some stuff on this. I I definitely did. I don't think they said they definitely set up some stuff because you had interviews from John Cena and Stephanie McMahon. Did step did, did John Cena just retire? No, no. I think he did the opposite of retire. He came in there and was and told, you know, very un John Cena, very quiet and almost defeated and you know saying i don't i'm seeing my window for wrestlemania closing i don't know how i'm going to get there this you know he was contemplating his his career's mortality and i I thought it was actually it was very affecting uh you know i've got friends who were hitting me up afterwards saying oh my god is cena okay like he worked some people really well here because me too yeah because he because a lot of the the pathos that he was expressing felt like it came from a genuine place of a guy staring down his own mortality and staring down, you know, the, the, the setting of the sun on a huge career and not being the guy. And for the first time in 15 years, not being at WrestleMania, right? That's a big deal. Let's, let's, let's be straight here. If John Cena is available, he'll be at WrestleMania. I understand that. Whether it's, whether it's, you know, getting married to Nikki Bella or whatever, like last year was (laughs) the, you know, it was, it was a non-match against the Miz and Maurice and then proposing to Nikki. That was his WrestleMania moment. It's, it's been about 18 years now since we've, we saw test and uh, Stephanie, were going to get married. So it's been a long time. So we need another one of those, right? No, we don't. (laughs) We absolutely, I think there was a, there was a Kane marriage in there too. And and then there was Lita and edge banging on live TV. Anyway, we, we digress. The point is, is that, you know, Cena, I think the line that Cena had that was most obviously pre prescripted, but also telling about future storylines with him. Uh, he he's like, I don't know how I'm going to get to WrestleMania and I may have to step outside of proper etiquette of WWE in order to find my place there. Really? What? Really? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Ooh, heel John Cena? Tant- no. <laughs> I don't think he's going to step that far outside. No, they like that but it's still, too much. It's still tantalizing. Now it's kind of like, okay, rumors of him versus The Undertaker. Uh, will they find another way to insert him into a title picture? Will there be a three-way between Cena, Reigns, and Brock still? I say no. You say maybe. Uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but the, at this point, I, now that we even put the freaking nail in the coffin that Reigns and 
wins elimination chamber. Yeah, it's just going to be Reigns winning over Brock. So I don't think any of that crazy. Ah, stuff so you're, you're finally it, com- it, you're finally I've coming to terms with it. it. I, yes, I, I, it, I, it's that nasty spoonful of sour medicine I just swallowed. Yep, I've been sucking on that Nyquil all year, uh, buddy. Welcome to my world. Uh, so yeah, so very in- curious to see what happens with Cena this week on TV. Uh, Stephanie says that Ronda owes her an apology. Ooh. So. Yeah, we're looking at a real interesting week. We're, I mean, here's the thing. We're in WrestleMania season. That means from here until WrestleMania, it's going to be some good TV. Can we just podcast every day? Can we just give work the finger and just be like, just, we'll just talk about wrestling. You for- start paying me, we'll start podcasting every day, bro. <laughs> hey, listen up, sponsors. That's a really good point. <laughs> we would love to do this every single day and talking about it, right? If you guys want to help us out on the show, you can head over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash store and pick up some sweet busted wide open merchandise. But we are one step closer to the biggest wrestling show of the year. Yes, sir. And uh, oh, for the next month, it is going to be chaos. It is. And this year actually seems more chaotic than years past, where at this point, we start knowing what the matches are for WrestleMania, and it just seems like it's on a railroad, a, a, a road to WrestleMania, if you will. Uh, whereas this year, there's a lot more stuff up in the air. Like, I don't know where we're going with some of the stuff, and that's exciting. Yeah. I think they have a lot of places to build angles and stories on TV. Well, they won't stop changing. Well, the Fastlane event we've got in two weeks. Right. So we still got some of that stuff to There's still on. a lot of stuff to settle on before we really get down to the nitty-gritty on our way to WrestleMania. And right now, it's looking like a pretty big card, even with the little bits that we know. So... Yeah, lots of exciting stuff to come, and uh, check back in with us later this week when we do our weekly show, because I have a feeling there will be a lot to talk about this week. Oh, yes. Well, guys, that's been our Elimination Chamber 2018 recap. Really hope you enjoyed that. Head on over to Facebook and join us in the discussion group. Just search for Busted Wide Open. You'll find it right there. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at BWO Podcast. Hit us up. We uh, live tweet some of the events as they're going on. For those of you that joined me on Sunday night, Thanks for interacting with me. I really had a good time. And head on over to iTunes or your podcast app of choice and leave a review for us. Give us five stars. Give us some feedback. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. If you're on Facebook, give us a review over there and let us know what you think. We do love feedback and we do love to hear what works and what doesn't work, what you would like to hear us talk about. We, uh, we love the feedback. We love the interaction. So please hit us up and let us know. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous. You can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous. Back up! Would somebody stop the damn match? This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out. OrbitalJigsaw.com.